morning. What a wonderful time of worship. My name is Wayne Smith. Uh, I serve Yared Pathway Church through Masters Academy, uh, our school, pre-K-3 through 12th grade school. Um, I have some very exciting news to share with you. Um, here in town, there is a Christian school called Tabernacle Christian School, and they've been around for about 40 years. Uh, they use an alternative uh, model in their education. It's really geared to students who learn differently, who cannot thrive in the traditional classroom, and, and the Lord has been blessing them. And um, well, the leadership at the school and the church felt that the high school there was no longer part of the broad mission and vision of their school. So they approached us if we wanted to adopt the high school. So we prayed about it. We spoke to the school board, school leadership, school staff, spoke to Pastor Brian, uh, um, just, just wrestled through a lot of issues, um, and, and, and we just felt compelled that this is what God was calling us to do. Uh, and so we, we are now taking on a new high school division, completely separate from the traditional Masters Academy High School, uh, and it's going to be called Masters Votech High School, uh, Christian-based, without, without a doubt, but the model of education is very different, uh, and it will have a Votech vocational technical training aspect to it. Uh, for the first year, it's going to stay on the Tabernacle Ministries campus, and we will just oversee it. Um, and then we'll just wait on the Lord for His guidance to how we will bring that program on our campus. Nothing will change at Masses Academy. Uh, no classes, schedules, teachers will change. Even when that program's on our campus, the two divisions will stay completely separate because they're so very different. However, there is, there's just so many reasons why we feel led to do this, and one of them is that we get so many calls from families looking for a Christian education for their children who learn differently. And there are some students that we take, but there are so many students that we say we cannot take them. And we have to be honest, because they're paying money and we have to serve them and that just broadens our opportunity of ministry to possibly take some of those students in a different track that just learn differently. So I'm excited about this, and I invite you to pray for us. So if you know some students out there that, uh, that would want a Christian education but just do not thrive in the traditional classroom setting, let them give us a call. Um, and, and we're, we're just thrilled that God has led us this way. All right, so some of you have noticed my tie. And some of you are thinking, well, here we go again. He's going to tell us his American flag tie story. Uh, yes, I am. Uh, because I love the story and Pastor Brian. I didn't ask to speak on July 4th. Pastor Brian told me to. So then God says, you've got to tell your story. And well, no, I'm not, I'm not blaming God. So, um, I believe it was the summer of 1995, I was in New York City. Uh, I liked New York City for about three or four days, and, um, and, 
And I heard this person yelling, one dollar, one dollar, one dollar. And there was this little crowd gathered, and so I went and looked, and there was this man, he seemed to be Asian, and he had a table, and it was full of ties. One dollar each. So I ruffled through those ties, and I bought this American flag tie. 20, what, 26 years ago. And it just, it just reminds me of this great country, that somebody can set up shop on the streets of New York City and sell ties for a dollar. And somebody, another foreigner, come, can buy a tie for a dollar. <laughs> and then, then they can stand up here and celebrate not only this great country, but the freedom we have in Christ in this great country. Amen. So if you're tired of that story, you tell Pastor Brian not to have me speak next year, July 4th. <laughs> All right. So this morning we are continuing in the um, We Are One series. We are going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. Um, and I'm going to ask you to participate yeah, for a couple of minutes. Um, who here has, has ever been bowling? Raise a hand. Who's ever been bowling? Okay, most of us have been bowling. Um, so, when you go bowling and you bowl the ball down, down the, the lane and you hit all the pins over, all ten, that's called a strike, right? Okay, so now I want you to play with me. So, if you've ever been bowling, raise, raise a hand. If you have never bowled a strike, no, no, keep your hands up, come on, come on. If you have never bowled a strike, drop your hands. You've never bowled a strike, okay. If you've never bowled more than two strikes in a game, put your hand down. You've never bowled more than three strikes in a game, put your hand down. Never bowled more than four strikes in a game, put your hand down, okay. All right, everyone put your hand down. <laughs> Who here has bowled 10 strikes in a row? Wow, we've got a couple. Okay, so, is it possible that if you're in bowling this afternoon, you could bowl one strike? Is that possible? Is it possible that you could bowl 10 strikes in a row? I'm not talking about feasible. I'm talking about, is it possible? All right, so let's talk mini-golf, okay? Mini uh, golf in South Africa is called putt-putt. In mini, in mini golf, you putt down a little carpet, goes into a hole, and there's normally 18 holes on a mini golf course. And if you hit the ball from the little plate to the hole, gets in the hole, that's a hole in one. Okay, so let's play the same game. All right. Raise your hand if you've ever gone mini golfing, playing putt-putt. Put your hand down if you've never hit a hole in one. All right, everyone put your hand down. Okay, raise your hand if you have hit 18 hole in ones in a row. <laughs> no, okay. If you went putt-putting this afternoon, is it possible that you can putt one hole in one? Is it possible that you can putt 18 holes in one. 
Okay. We're off to a good start. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we're going to dig into your word. And we always take these moments seriously because it's your word. We want to treat it correctly and fairly. And we pray that you would reveal it to us according to your will in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, Pastor, Pastor Brown spoke from the early, uh, or the first part of Ephesians chapter 3, and he told us that, that, that Paul was about to pray a prayer, but then it seemed like he kind of got sidetracked and had these great thoughts about the presence of Christ and this mystery of the knowledge of Christ for all Jew and Gentile alike. Um, and, and, and in the rest of this chapter from 14 onwards, Paul prays this prayer. And it's a magnificent prayer. Scholars actually compare this prayer to some of the best literature in the ancient world. In fact, Alexander McLaren says that this, this prayer is like Paul or God drawing us into the royal palace. It's interesting that we just sang a song that we were beggars, but now we're royalty. And there's a sense that this passage is going to draw us into these deep, profound concepts about God and our relationship with God. And, and they just force us to stop and pause and think. The one song in, among the words in one of the songs says, we will drink from his fountain. <laughs> and so although we've only got about 30 minutes here, I want us to, to kind of go slow, but we can go too slow through these verses as God draws us through his royal palace, chamber by chamber by chamber. Ephesians 3 verse 14 for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Paul says, I bow my knees. Um, it's a good, humble position. Um, but, but the bending of the knees, the bowing of your head, the closing of your eyes when you pray doesn't, doesn't make that an effective prayer. It's the attitude of your heart. And it's the same in worship. Standing, moving, clapping, raising your hands doesn't make it true worship. It has to do with the attitude of your heart. Um, we had a visiting professor in Bible college that would pray with his eyes open. And before class, he would pray, and sometimes he'd be going on and on, and, and, and we would open our eyes, and he'd be kind of looking at me, <laughs> praying, God, give us power and strength, and, and it kind of, kind of freaks us out. But prayer isn't about the position of your body. It's not about the bending of the knees. Those are good. It's about the attitude of the heart. So Paul is praying in bended knees, and so it's showing his humility. And he says, I bend my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. The theme for this series is we are one. And a couple of times in this passage, we see Paul hitting this theme again about this universality of the Christian family. Every nation, every language group, every tribe, every ethnicity, 
if they've responded to Christ, are part of the family of God. And then we get to verse 16, and Paul now begins his prayer. He begins drawing us into this wonderful experience where, where we will kind of figuratively walk down these royal hallways, chamber by chamber by chamber. The first one I call the power of the Spirit. Verse 16, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. According to the riches of His glory, we have no clue the full extent of the riches of God's glory. It's, it's, just, it's just one of those things that Hopefully we don't just skip by, but, but we just pause and we just allow the Lord to minister, minister to us about the riches of His glory. That He may grant you, <laughs> that He may grant you from the riches of His glory. Do you get that? Again, we have to pause and meditate. And if you're reading this in a devotional setting, it's almost sacrilegious to just keep reading because this is so rich. The God wants to grant you from the riches of His glory. What is it that He wants to grant you? That you would be strengthened with power through His Spirit. This, this theme of power is another one that just permeates this book. I have, I have sat multiple times over the past several weeks as I was been reading this book over and over, and, and I confess that I don't fully grasp the power of God, let alone the fact that He wants to instill and work that power in me. In fact, at times like this, it would be good to just pause and say, Lord, I don't fully understand it, but I'm willing for you to work your power in me. The Greek word for power is used three times in these verses. Here in verse 16 is dunamis, means power, might, strength, ability, usefulness, energy, deeds. But it has, this, it has this moral power connotation to it. In fact, one Bible scholar interprets this passage or this verse and this usage of power as, as, as the moral power and excellence of soul. <laughs> Man, I like that. Moral power and excellence of soul. It means that your soul can be strong with the power of God. That your soul can be good. Why? Because God is good. Because it's His power that's strengthening my soul. It means that when peace like a river <laughs> attendeth my way, it is well with my soul. When sorrows like sea billows roll, 
it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, (laughs) though trials should come, it is well with my soul. Whatever my lot, it is well with my soul. Why? Because I'm good? No. Because his power is at work in me. So a good question you know, early in this message is, how's your soul? How's your soul today? The indwelling power of God enables you to serve, enables you to make right choices, enables you to love others in God's name. This power enables us to endure, to stand firm, to suffer, to work through conflict, to have grace and peace. This power enables us to have the assurance that it is well with my soul. What a magnificent thought. <laughs> but can you see how we can not just run through these verses? We have to pause and just allow God to unpack it. The second royal chamber that we enter into in this passage is verse 17, the indwelling presence of Christ. Verse 17 says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you've been rooted and grounded in love. Paul is praying that Christ would dwell in your hearts. We actually believe that this is a literal fact. There are some that say, oh, this sounds kind of, you know, you're kind of out there <laughs> in left field. No, we actually believe this. We actually believe that when we surrender our hearts to Christ, God Almighty in Christ dwells in us. This is what Paul's praying for. That we would experience this and we would know it, that He is living inside of us. What a profound mystery. There's no begging, there's no bargaining, there's no conniving or conning our way into having Christ dwell in our hearts. There's no complex rituals. There's no one else that can do it on our behalf. It's a mystery, but yet it's so simple. I surrender. Christ fills. I give up. Christ indwells. I ask. Christ answers. Paul goes on, so that we would be grounded and rooted in love. Another profound thought Grounded and rooted. Just for that, is that where it stops? Grounded and rooted, and that's it? No. If you were grounded and rooted, it's for a purpose. What good is root without? Fruit. (laughs) Right? We're grounded for a purpose so that the indwelling of Christ can grow in us and grow in us. And what is it that John 15 says if there's no fruit? The mass is going to take the pruning shears. And so we're grounded and rooted in Christ's love so that that would grow up in us, so that we would experience it, and that we would then show it and minister to that to others. From grounding to standing firm, from root to fruit, from internal to external. By the way, these are wonderful Masses Academy concepts. Okay, I'm I'm not kind of bragging on the school, maybe I am. 
that we would that we would go from consumers to contributors in the body of Christ. It reminds me of Psalm 1, verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. Alexander McLaren, the great Scottish 19th century preacher, says, where Christ abides in a heart, love will be the very soul in which the life will be rooted and grow. That love will be the motive of all service. The whole life will be as a tree planted in this rich soil. And so the life will grow by an inherent power drawing its nourishment from the soil. So Paul is drawing us along these hallways and we've paused to contemplate the power of God. We've paused to contemplate the presence of Christ that grounds us and roots us in his love. And then we move on to verse 18 and 19. So that you would know the surpassing love of Christ. Reading in verse 18, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul is praying that we would comprehend this. With all the saints, again, this, this, this universal family concept comes through in this passage. That we would comprehend with all the saints the breadth, the length, the heart, and the depth of the love of Christ. Comprehend that. The breadth, the length, the height, the depth of the love of Christ. So broad, stretches across the world, so long it stretches back from the beginning of time into our time and as long as God keeps time on this earth. So high it stretches to the heaven, so deep it goes down into the most vilest pits of human life and it never stops loving. Never stops loving. And Paul is praying that we would comprehend this, that we would think about it, that we would understand, at least in some measure, this amazing love of Christ. And you know what he does when he goes down into the depths of your mess? <laughs> he still loves you. <laughs> he still loves you. There's a wonderful Old Testament example of this. God visited with a man called Hosea one day. And God said to Hosea, I want you to go and find your wife. Hosea said, Lord, she's left me. Hosea, I need you to go and find your wife. Lord, she's run off with other men, not just one or two, but several. Hosea, you need to go and find your wife. Lord, she's been unfaithful to me. I'm kind of paraphrasing now. Hosea, how many times have you been unfaithful to me? And haven't I come after you over and over and over and over again? Hosea, how many times has the nation of Israel been unfaithful to me? 
Have I not come after the nation of Israel and pursued the nation of Israel over and over and over and over again? And this is a beautiful picture of God's love for the church, God's love for you and for me. Because His love compels Him to come after us and to pursue us and to seek us over and over and over and over again. Paul is praying that we would comprehend this amazing love of Christ. We move on through the royal chambers into one more. And we call this the fullness of God. Verse 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What was the last prayer you prayed for a friend? You probably prayed for them to be healed from a sickness, prayed for them to get a good report from a doctor, prayed for them that a relationship would turn around, prayed for them to get a job. There's nothing wrong with those prayers, but have you ever prayed that somebody would be filled with the fullness of God? What a magnificent prayer. What an amazing prayer to pray for someone. There's no, there's no like shopping list prayer. It's just, Lord, fill, fill them with the fullness of yourself. What a wonderful prayer to pray. Paul is praying for the Ephesian church that God would fill them with his fullness. Those who don't know the story might be tempted to say, I'm a sinful creature. I don't deserve this. I deserve wrath, not fullness. I deserve punishment, not presence. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Brian quoted from an old John Wesley hymn. He has a paraphrase of two more lines. How can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's love? How can it be that I should find myself in the presence of the King? For some of us, as we pause and meditate in this chamber, we come to the realization that this is too much for me to think and to grasp. The power of the Spirit, the indwelling presence of Christ, the amazing breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ, and now the fullness of God. Oh, wow. So much. Are you with me? Are you feeling like this isn't all playing out in your life? That yes, you understand it mentally and you've heard these thoughts, but it's not really present in your life. Maybe you're thinking, well, it's okay for the poles of the world, but it's just not clicking with me. Some of you might be saying, I'm totally in. <laughs> I'm all in. Maybe there's some that are saying, well, you see, there's this issue. <laughs> there's this thing. I've told you in previous messages about a friend I have. I've known him for about 40 years. I learned about 15 years ago that he was struggling with a severe substance issue. I don't doubt his faith. I don't doubt that he loves the Lord. Um, 
when he and I talk, he just talks about the Lord with just glowing terms, and I don't think he fakes it. But he called me just last week. He'd fallen off the wagon again. And I'm not a counselor. I don't know what to say. I'm a good listener. Um, and he was talking about how hard this is and, 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 and uh, so I said, well, it's just too bad being you. It's too bad. And that's what God does, right? In Scripture, there's some examples of that. Remember the woman caught in adultery and she was dragged in front of a crowd? humiliated and fearful and thrown to the ground. And then this mob that brought her said to Jesus, we ought to stone her. Jesus said, yeah, you're right. The Lord says stone her. He bends down to the woman, hey, lady, it's too bad being you. And he walks away. <laughs> no, that's not what he does, right? Does God ever do that with us? Does God ever say, well, it's too bad being you. I'm out of here. Does God ever say, it's too bad being you. These verses don't apply to you. No. Jesus says to the mob, it's okay, stone her. But you who have never sinned, throw the first stone. <laughs> well, that tells us a lot about criticism, doesn't it? <laughs> And the crowd disperses, and Jesus lifts the woman up, and his love just pours out to her. And he says, and he doesn't use these words, but he says, There's no condemnation here. Just go and sin no more. Think of Zacchaeus. Jesus walking along the road, he looks up, he says, Hey, is that you, Zacchaeus? Yes, Lord. Zacchaeus, what are you doing in the tree? Well, you see, Lord, I'm only five foot two and a quarter. <laughs> and I cannot look over the crowds. I wanted to see <laughs> I wanted to see you, Lord. And so I climbed the tree. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, aren't you a tax collector? Yep. Zacchaeus, if you come down in the middle of this crowd, they are going to probably skin you alive. Yes, Lord, I think I'll stay up here a while. <laughs> Jesus says, okay, Zacchaeus, it's tough being you. No. He tells us this, 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 this tax collector, this, this lowest person in the Jewish social system, come down, Zacchaeus, we're going to have dinner. Wow. Do you comprehend the love of Christ? Think of Peter on the beach in Galilee, and he's just distraught. And he, he's, he's just fighting inside, and, and he's ashamed. And Jesus says to him, Peter, what's going on? He says, Lord, I'm just sorry. I'm just so guilty for denying you. And the love of Jesus just pours out of him. And Jesus appoints Peter to lead the church. Do you comprehend the love of Christ? Are you okay? Is there that issue? Maybe it's something about theology that you can't wrap your minds around. Maybe it's a besetting sin. 
Maybe it's something that you've prayed and prayed and prayed for and feels like your prayers aren't going higher than the ceiling and you're stuck and you don't really truly comprehend Christ's love for you. So I said to my friend on the phone, <laughs> I said, do you believe that he is able? So let's go on, verse 20 and 21. We're going to wrap this up here in a few minutes. Now to him who is able to do more, than, more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I do not serve a God where I'm going to tell someone it's too bad being you. God isn't going to help you. And I have to believe that even if my friend continues to fall off the wagon for the next 10 years, I have to believe that God is able to eventually one day something is going to click where that guy is going to get on the wagon and he's going to stay there for the rest of his life. Amen? And I believe that about you too. Whatever it is, whatever issue it is, because the Bible says that he is able. So I want you to look at these Greek words. This is, this is really, really cool. The word able and power in verse 20. The word able means to have power. The word power there might or strength or force. But then if you go to the next slide, look at, look at the Greek. Both words come from the same Greek root word dunamai or dunamis. And that's where we get the English word dynamite from. <laughs> he has power. He is able to do more than what we can ever ask or imagine. I had a little happy moment on Friday afternoon. It's one of those moments that gets my Bible study gases bubbling. Uh, I was reading over my message again, and I have a reference here from Luke chapter 5, when the leper calls out to Jesus, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And so as I was reading through the message again, the, the thought occurred to me, I'm going to go and look up the meaning the Greek root of willing. And so I looked it up, and it just, just literally means that, a willing, a desire. And then something just drew, drew my attention to the next three words in that verse. And if I had found this early in the week, I would have had it on the slides, but the slides were already done. And so in that verse, in Luke 5, the leper calls out, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And the words can make... The root word there is dunamis. Wow, I look at that. Wow. And so what the leper is actually saying, Lord, if you're willing, you have the power to make me clean. That's a pretty cool prayer to pray to God. And to pray it over and over and over again. Lord, you have the power to do this thing for me. You have the power to fix this issue for me. You have the power to keep me on the wagon. <laughs> you have the power to help me control my temper. You have the power to help me control my thoughts. 
You have the power to help me resolve this relational conflict. Is he able? Adam Clark says this. I believe it's going to be on the screen. It would be dishonorable to the grace of Christ to suppose that sin had made wounds which could not heal. Right? It would be dishonorable to the grace of Christ to suppose that sin had made wounds that could not heal. Would God tell us that he is able if there are habits that cannot be broken? Would God tell us that he is able if there are relationships that cannot be healed? Would God tell us that he is able if there are fears that cannot be eased? Would God tell us that he is able if there are prejudices that cannot be corrected? Would God tell us that he is able if there are depressions that cannot be lifted? Would God tell us that he is able if there are dead-end lives that cannot find hope? Would God tell you that he is able if there is an issue in your life that can never be resolved? I don't serve that God. Let me wrap this up with two scripture verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There's three wonderful promises in this verse. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. There's no new, ta- there's no new temptation out there. <laughs> Second promise in that verse. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But... You have to thank the Lord for the buts in the Bible. (laughs) Seriously. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way to escape that you may be able. Guess what the root word the able is? (laughs) Dunamis. Power. That you may have power to endure it. And where does that power come from? Christ living in you. Can you say no to sin? Can Christ in you say no to sin? Come on now. (laughs) First John chapter two, verse one. My dear children or my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But (laughs) thank the Lord for the buts in the Bible. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So this afternoon, you and I are going to go bowling, okay? And we're going to bowl strikes. And there's going to be things that's going to happen, things that's going to cross our path, conversations that we're going to have people that's going to cut in the line and we're going to bowl a strike because of the love of Christ the power of God living in us and we're going to have thoughts that's going to draw us down roads that we shouldn't go and we're going to pull back and we're going to bowl a strike and how often this afternoon can we keep bowling strikes in the power of Christ. Can we bowl strikes all afternoon? That's good theology, folks. Because Christ 
in me can help me to make the right decisions, to make the right choices, to say the right things in difficult conversations, to stay out of places I shouldn't be. And if we blow it, we have an advocate, Christ, who intercedes for us. We go to him and say, Lord, I blew it. God says, I know, but I love you. Come on, let's get back up and bowl those trucks. And then tomorrow morning, wake up and say, Lord, help me today. Help me to bowl strikes all day long. Help me to make decisions all day long. Help me not to sin, Lord, today. Is that possible? Yes. And if we get to tomorrow night and we've blown it, we go to God, Lord, forgive me. And he forgives us and he wraps us in his love. He says, it's okay. Tomorrow, we'll do better. Do you comprehend the love of Christ for you? Why? Because He is able. Amen? Let's pray. Father, it's not by might. It's not by power. It's by your strength, says the Lord. Father, there's some here this morning who comprehend all of these deep thoughts and are endeavoring to live faithfully, and we celebrate with them. There's, there's others, Lord, who believe these deep thoughts in theory, but just living them out is just hard. Maybe they stumble over them. Maybe they even don't believe the reality of them. Father, we invite your Spirit inside of us, the power of your Spirit. You will help us comprehend and believe and understand. I pray that we would know without a doubt that you are able to do what we cannot, to do what we do not understand, to do what we cannot even imagine, to make right in our lives. Because our commitment to you, Lord, is that we will never give up. We will stay on this journey. And we know your commitment to us is that you will never give up on us. And we thank you for that. Now challenge us, Lord, to maybe make a tough decision this morning as the worship team leads us, as we sing about the goodness of God. May we just allow those words to penetrate our souls. Amen. Respond as the Lord leads you. And come to the altar and pray. Or allow God to minister to you where you are as the worship team leads us.
Let's pray. Father, if there's any here this morning who have never experienced, Lord, your goodness running after them, I pray that you would open their hearts to it and that your spirit would witness to their spirit that they're your child, that you love them, that you love them so much. Go with us, Lord, into this day. There's snares and traps that the devil will lay for us. But we believe in your power within us. The strength of Christ. The love of Christ. That we would walk faithfully with you. 
through this day. Go with us in Jesus' glorious name. And now to him who is able to do more than we can ever ask or imagine, to him whose power is at work within us, his glory in the church forever and evermore. Amen. Amen. God bless you.